Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I should open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3 as we continue our study on letters to the churches. These are seven letters that were written, penned by the Apostle John as the Lord Jesus Christ gave him these words. So these are letters from the Lord to seven churches in Asia Minor. Some of these churches we know a great deal about, some we don't know very much about. And this is one of those churches today, the church at Philadelphia, that we know very little about. We looked at the church at Ephesus and saw that Jesus said, you're a careless church, be careful. We looked at Pergamon, which was the church of compromise. We looked at Smyrna, the suffering church, because of their obedience and faithfulness to the cross. We looked at the church at Thyatira and saw that they were the corrupt church. And then last time, the church at Sardis, the church that was dead. Well, I thank God that we don't experience that here. Thank God for a living church people of God vibrant and alive, ready to hear from Him. Today, the faithful church at Philadelphia. If you would follow along as I read. Verse 7, Jesus telling John, Write to the angel of the church at Philadelphia, the messenger, the pastor of the church at Philadelphia, the holy one, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and closes and no one opens, says, I know your works. Because you have limited strength, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one is able to close. Take note, verse 9. I will make those from the synagogue of Satan. We were introduced to those a couple of passages back. Those of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews but are not, but are lying. Note this. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and they will know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing or tribulation that is going to come over the whole world to test those who will live on the earth. And I am coming quickly. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. Speaking of eternal life. The victor. I will make him a pillar in the sanctuary of my God and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Wow, so much uh, powerful truth in this passage of Scripture. And I just thought I'd, I'd hone in on three questions. What are some characteristics of this church that we can copy? What are some promises to claim? And what are some eternal blessings that we can cling to? First of all, Matthew chapter 25, verse 23. Jesus said these words, Well done, good and faithful servant or slave. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. I think that describes the church at Philadelphia. Jesus is saying, in many words, well done, church at Philadelphia. Well done for being faithful, for staying with the stuff. No rebuke here. It's all positive for the church at Philadelphia. So what are some characteristics that we can copy? By the way, this this could be the whole sermon right here but I'm going to keep going. But let's look at these four characteristics. First of all, they had a dependence on God, 
a dependence on God. In verse 8, he says, I know your works because you have limited strength. It's not a negative thing that you have limited strength. He's just saying, you only have a little strength, but you've been, you've been faithful to completely depend on the Lord. Have you found, like I have, that when you get to the end of your resources and you see how limited you are, that you really trust him? When things are not going as you want them to go and you finally say, sometimes we do this, well, I've tried everything else, I guess I'll just pray now. Why do we do that? It's human nature, I guess. In first, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul wrote these words. He said, I take pleasure in weakness and in insults and in catastrophes and persecutions and in pressures because of Christ. That's quite a life. But then Paul writes, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Could you say that? When I'm weak, right? Do you know that? When I'm at the, at the point of I cannot do it, then I am strong. By the way, it's his strength only. I have found on the, the days when I am most depleted, most not feeling like I can do it, those are the days God shows up. And on the days when I think, man, this is going to be something because I'm ready, it's kind of flat. And I say, Lord, well, I don't get it. I think a couple of things are happening. Number one, on a Sunday when I, I don't feel like I've got it together, I pray more. Have you found that to be the case? And when I don't think I've got it together and I'm depleted, God just has to show up. Because that's what he does. Dependence on God. Number two. And I'm going to have to, it's going to be hard not to park on every one of these. Number two, obedience to the word of God. The, the second characteristic to copy is obedience to the word. He said, I know your works. You have limited strength. You have kept my word. Verse eight. Kept my word. What does it mean to keep his word? It just means to obey it. Now here, let me tell you something. If you're new to Bible study or maybe you haven't grown much and you say there's just so much in the Bible I don't understand. Welcome to my world. There is so much in here I don't understand, but let me tell you something. I made a commitment as a, as a new Christian. The things I do understand, I'm going to obey. I had one time an argument, with, uh, an argument, intense fellowship with a guy, okay? Boy, and he was going on and on and on about tithing and how every Christian ought to tithe, and he went through this big deal. And, and while he was telling me all that, the guy, I, his life was so messed up. He was in so much disobedience in his lifestyle and what he was doing and how he was talking. And I'm thinking, you, you've got a handle on this one thing, but there's a whole bunch of stuff God should be speaking to you about. You're not obeying. Well, I, I would encourage you, if there's stuff in the Bible you don't understand, say, Lord, I don't understand that. Be honest. And then say, God, the things I do understand, help me to keep them and obey them. So simple. The Bible says constantly, clear commands in the New Testament that you can obey. Obedience. Quit looking for the big stuff. Quit looking for understanding of the, the beast and the, the statues and all that Daniel mentions in his prophecies and what happens in the book of the Revelation and what's God going to do with suffering in the world and why does he allow this? Just step back and say, God, you've told me to love you with my whole heart. I, I can do that. Obedience. Number three. Third characteristic to copy, allegiance to his name. Allegiance to his name. This church, Jesus says of them, you've kept my word and have not denied my name. What does it mean to have allegiance to someone or something? It means you're going to be loyal to them. We celebrated last week uh, our 20 years of pastoring, shepherding Coastal Oaks Church. And let me tell you, one of the blessings of pastoring this church is the loyalty of this congregation to their pastor. The loyalty of this staff to their pastor. The loyalty of these deacons and leaders. Loyalty is a, is, a, is a blessed thing that we can't take for granted. The Bible says we're to be loyal to Jesus. 
By the way, that's where it starts. Allegiance to him. Allegiance. You have not denied my name. Number four, the fourth characteristic to copy, endurance through trials. Endurance through trials. Look at verse 10. Because you have kept my command to endure through difficult times. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that this is a church that follows those four characteristics. We depend on the Lord. We have a debt-free ministry here. We committed almost 20 years ago that we're not going to borrow money. And we've said, that's it. God, we're going to depend on you. I thank God that for ministry and opportunities and serving and everything, we depend on him. We're obedient to the word of God as best we can. We, we have allegiance to his name. We may clap when the choir sings, but it's all for the Lord. We may celebrate what's going on, but it's all because of God. And we have this endurance through trials. It, it, whenever the choir sings, I look at the faces of these people and I, I, I'm, I'm, my mind races with all the messes some of these people have been through. The junk that has been thrown their way, the difficulties, the trials, the hardships. And, and I just celebrate while they're singing to God's glory that they have endured through trials. These folks who stand up here, like this one who stands right here, don't have it all together, but we've been able to endure through trials. Those are some characteristics to copy. What about some promises that we can claim? What are some promises that we as a people of God, based on this passage of Scripture, can claim? Number one, security because of his authority. Security because of his authority. Listen to this interesting phrase in, in verse 7. The Holy One, speaking of Jesus of himself, the true one, the one who has the key of David or the keys to the Messiah, the keys to eternal life, who opens and no one will close, who closes and no one opens. This one who has this authority, this picture of, of someone with the keys, the person with the key is a person who can let people in and, and let people out. We've put an alarm system on our church buildings. And it's been a challenge over the last year to try to implement keeping the alarm set and not, you know, go off at the wrong time. And so we had a limited number of keys and the, uh, because we have a limited number of codes to issue to people. And so our, we issue keys for special events and some key leaders have keys. And it's been a challenge. And, and, and when we started doing that, some people were like, oh, I want a key. And I thought, why? I'll give you mine right now. I, I, I would rather not have a key. But it's kind of this people think, well, if I have a key, I have access. I've got power. And some don't like it. We say, we can't give you a key. Not because you're not anybody, but because we don't have one. The key represents the way to get in, the way to get out. And Jesus gives us this security. In John chapter 14, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except how? By me. Jesus said, I, I won't show you the way. I won't just point the way. I will be the way. Boy, that's good. He says, I will be the key that opens the door. John chapter 10, he also said, I am the door of the sheepfold. Anyone who enters by me, by this door, will have, be saved, have eternal life. Security, man, the, the people of the church at Philadelphia trusted in Jesus because he had this sense of, this gave him the sense of security of his authority. I am so thankful. I am not depending on myself to keep myself saved. Can I say that again? I've been saved by grace. I'm kept by grace. I can't make myself any better to make myself any more saved than I already am because it all happened at the cross. 
Folks, there's security in that. That my salvation rests in the authority of Jesus Christ, his shed blood. We've been singing about it all morning. Secondly, another promise to claim. Not only we have that security, but we share because he gives us opportunity. We are sharing because he gives us opportunity. This church at Philadelphia basically was a, became an outpost for the gospel. Gave them opportunities. It was, it was a missionary outpost to share the gospel with that part of the world. That opportunity, we, we share. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul talked about coming to Troas to preach the gospel. And he said, I went there because the Lord opened a door for me to preach. That open door, Jesus is not just referring to opening the door of heaven, but he's talking about the fact that he's opening the door of opportunity for us to share the gospel. As our world gets more and more messed up, and our nation gets more and more messed up, we have more and more opportunities to tell people we have the answer. I, I, am, I am committed to not wring my hands. You probably call me on that someday, I'm sure. But not to wring my hands over the state of affairs in our world, but to say, God, what a great opportunity to reach people with the gospel. I remember when I was a, I was a yoke fellow, which in the church I was in, that was a, a precursor to a deacon. They were called yoke fellows. And I was single, so I couldn't be a deacon, so that's the way they worked it. And I was in a deacon's meeting, and there were about 15 or 20 guys in our church there who were deacons. And, and the, all the guys were complaining. It was a Sunday night or Wednesday, I'm not sure, it was, it was in the evening, and they'd all come through all this traffic to church, and they were complaining about all the traffic in Houston, Texas. Just moaning and groaning. Y'all know what I'm saying? And this goes back to the late 70s when things were crazy there. Every freeway was under construction, every, every street was packed, and they were all moaning and groaning about all the people, and one deacon, just very quietly, says, hey, fellas, what better place to be to share the gospel than in this city that's full of people. Boy, that, that made an impact on me. We have this opportunity to share. Let's take advantage of it. That's a promise. Number three, another promise to claim. He, he says here there's going to be salvation of those who are critical of the Spirit's activity. Salvation of critics because of the Spirit's activity. Look at verse 9. Take note, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews but are not, they're lying. Remember we said the synagogue of, synagogue of Saint was a bunch of people who were na- Jewish in name only and they were pretending to be followers of God. And he called them the synagogue of Satan. They really didn't have a, a heart for the Lord at all. He says they claim to be Jews but are not. He says, I will make them come and bow down at your feet. They will know that I've loved you. It's not that they're going to come and worship you. They're going to come and bow down and know that it's the Lord who gets worshipped. There's a promise there we can claim. God, you're going to use the Spirit's activity to bring people who are antagonistic and critical of the gospel. You're going to bring them to yourself. I love reading stories about former atheists and former agnostics and people who are formerly opposed to the gospel. Man, the list is lengthy of of celebrities. Some of the most powerful theologians, writers, and preachers of, of generations past have been those who are the greatest skeptics of the Christian faith. Where's the promise? God's Spirit's going to work, and he worked in that synagogue of Satan. Basically, he worked in those people who didn't know Christ. They were the strongest critics of the gospel when they came to Christ. I had a friend one time told me he was a youth pastor, and this was his strategy when he went into a high school in a small town. He said, I want to find the toughest, meanest, 
raunchiest, rudest guy on campus. And I'm going to pray that God would lead him to the Lord, that God could use me. Why? Because when you take the meanest, raunchiest, most outspoken critic of Christianity, and they come to Christ, what happens? It's a domino effect. Folks, God wants to do that. I don't know who you're sharing your, your faith with, but there may be somebody who keeps, keeps backbiting at you and keeps pushing at you and, and being critical of you. Celebrate that because God's Spirit's going to get in the middle of that. The Bible says in Philippians 2, one day every knee's going to bow, every tongue's going to confess. Salvation of the critics. Number four, the fourth promise to claim will be spared from tribulation because of his strategy. This translation that I'm reading, the Holman Christian Standard Bible says, I will, I will spare you from uh, testing. That word is tribulation there. And many scholars feel like it refers to the great tribulation. And I, I believe that also. I want you just to hold that place, but look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 with me. I can find it. Well, I've lost it. I've got here, it's verse 13, but that's not what I wanted. Because there, there we go. Okay. I was just giving you all the time to get there. Paul is writing about this day. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, concerning those who are asleep or those who have died, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. For we say this to you by revelation from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly have no advantage over those who have fallen asleep. In other words, those of us who are alive, if we're alive when Jesus comes back, it's going to be a good thing. Those who are already in the grave, uh, he's going to have a, a plan for them. He says, those who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly have no advantage for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Those who fall asleep, those are dead in Christ, believers. Then we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Without going into a great amount of detail here, I believe that, that that is speaking of where the church will be caught up. The word is rapture, where we will, if we're alive when Jesus comes back, we'll be taken up to be with the Lord. And then there will be a time of tribulation, that the, as, as, the, um, as John says, a time which the world has never known before. And I think that's what that's referring to. The fact that this time of suffering will be when the people of God are removed from the world and Satan will have free reign. But it's seven years. Jesus said in John chapter 14, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back to receive you. I believe that's it. First of all, Jesus will come for his church. Then there will be a time of tribulation. Then he will come with his church to establish the millennial kingdom. Boy, what a promise to claim that Jesus is coming back. Folks, I don't know, but when I, I'll tell you something. When I first became a believer as a teenager, the signs were there. I thought it could be any day. How much more today, as you look at what's going on in the world, Jesus is preparing this world for His second coming. I want to be ready. What about the eternal blessings that we're to cling to? These eternal blessings. And some of this kind of keys in on the themes we've already looked at, but I want to list these four. 
First of all, reassurance of our security in Christ. He's already told us that we have this security in Him. But verse 11, there's this reassurance. I come quickly. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. Hold on to this eternal life. You're the victor, verse 12. A pillar in the sanctuary of God. You'll never go out again. You're you're saved. You have this assurance of eternal life. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about that. When he speaks about immortality. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 53. As Paul is writing about the resurrection, he says, For this corruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility. This mortal must be clothed with immortality. Then when this corruptible is clothed with incorruptibility, this mortal is clothed with immortality, then the saying is written that will take place, death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What, a, what assurance. I did a, a funeral uh, recently, and, and these words are words that I shared. That Jesus is preparing a place for us. That Jesus is coming back. That, that, that we will be one, one, time, one day, we will be in his presence. Immortality. What reassurance. Number two. We have this blessing of a relationship with God. Back to chapter 3 in, in uh, Revelation. I will write in verse, uh, verse 12, I will write on him the name of my God. I like that. I will write on him the name of my God. We've had several opportunities here at Coastal Oaks to do construction projects, and we have work days and stuff. And, and we had a work day here when we were building this building, and I brought my cordless screwdriver and several batteries with me. And those things aren't cheap. And I brought them and I set them. And as I started using my cordless screwdriver, I looked around and about four other guys had the very same screwdriver and the very same batteries. And as the day went on, guess what happened? My batteries got put on somebody else's drill and I never figured out whose they were. When I walked out, I got batteries I didn't think were mine, but I didn't have my name on them. So now I put my name on all my batteries. Is that O? o-, o- I don't know what it is, but anyway. I write my name on my batteries. If it's my name, I know that's mine. I don't want to walk up to some guy and say, you got my battery? And no, you don't. Oh, yeah, sorry, that's yours. I want to know. See, when you put your name on something, it means it belongs to you. It belongs to you. It identifies you. That relationship with God. The Bible says he's going to write his name on us. Has he written his name on you? Has he, has he, by His grace, saved you from your sin? That doesn't mean you're good. It doesn't mean you've done anything incredible. It just means that you've said, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And by faith, you've trusted in Him as your Savior and invited Him to take up residence in your life to be your Lord, which is boss and Savior. And you've committed your life to Him. Have you done that? The Bible says when you do that, He writes His name on you. I was watching the kids down here this morning and some of them had a name tag stuck to their back with their name on it. So mom and dad can find them. Yeah, that is mine. Slip, flipping name tags around. I'm going to take this one home, okay? You can have mine for a week. So those name tags are there with their name on that. But the Bible says that Jesus is going to put his name on us. Wouldn't it be cool if, if instead of just the name of the kid, we could put on the name of every kid? Jesus, 
This one belongs to Jesus. That one belongs to Jesus. That relationship. Third blessing to cling to is residence in heaven. A residence in heaven. Man, this is exciting. He says, I will write on him the name of my God. Verse 12, in the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem which comes out of heaven from God. My new name. A new residence. Again, in John chapter 14, I there in my father's house are many rooms or many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you so that where I am there you may be also. That's called a home in heaven. In the, in the, in the last things when there's a new heaven and a new earth, the Bible says that a new Jerusalem will come down and that will be our home for eternity. It's, it's amazing that God has this place ready for us. Residence. Where do you live? What's your residence? I'm not proud of this, but I got pulled over this last week for exceeding the speed limit. Just a little bit. Y'all, this is what kills me. I'm so conscious of that everywhere I go. And this one time, I, I was going 51 and a 45. It was late at night. It was a back road, and I wasn't paying attention. And, and the guy pulls me over and flashing lights, and he comes. I'm thinking, oh, no. And we're getting the insurance card and all that stuff. And, and what do they usually ask you? Is this your residence? Is this where you still live that says on your driver's license? It's your residence? I guess I really could have been cute and said, well, it says that's there, but my residence is really in heaven. That would have gone over real well. But really, that's my residence. Where, when you think about, right now my son is living out of a van. He is living out of a van. And so when you ask him, where's your residence? Is it Rockport? Is it Dallas? Is it L.A. where he was a while? Is it Portland? I don't know where his residence is. I think ultimately he claims Rockport. I want you to think about your Christian life as living in a van. All right? And you're just driving around. And your real residence is permanent. It's in heaven. And what a promise to cling to. And then to wrap it up, verse 12, we get to be a reflection of his glory. How is it in verse 12 that he can say the new Jerusalem comes down of God and I'm going to write on him my new name? It, it is saying that, that we are going to reflect his glory. What a privilege. Not to say, look at me, look what I've done, look at how great things are here, but to say, God's, God's an incredible God. I know sometimes people think I'm being spiritual and doing a Jesus juke when they say things to me and I, they'll say that was good or that went great or I love and I'll say man isn't God good isn't God good or I might say praise the Lord I don't I don't want the attention and focus to be on me but I don't want to sound like pious like oh praise the Lord but I want to say that the glory goes to him I'm just a I'm just a reflector of that glory now, we were looking at the supermoon. Is it that what you call it this last week? Man. And Kelly and I, were, was, was, it, was it Carissa or was it you? You? Was you? It was Carissa. It was my daughter. We're standing out on the back patio, and it was like midnight. And the, the moon was so bright, there was a strong shadow. I mean, a strong shadow on the, on the patio back there. And I said, babe, I said, 
Isn't it amazing that, that the light is so bright and that's just really reflecting the real light, the sun? That the reflection of the sun off the moon, this is how it works, isn't it? Y'all are looking at me like I'm weird. The, <laughs> the reflection of the sun off the moon on me is so bright that it casts a shadow. And I, I, I initially said, wow, what a great moon. And then I said, man, think about the sun that's shining on that moon to make that moon shine on us. That's what it's to be, folks. What it's to be. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to reflecting His glory for eternity. I'm I'm looking forward to going home, my permanent home. Donald Miller writes a blog, and in one of his recent blogs, he wrote about a, a man named Bob Goff. Bob had a dream to sail across the Pacific Ocean to Hawaii. Not my dream, it was Bob's dream. So he got four buddies and they entered what's called the Transpac Race. Uh, it's a semi-annual race from the, the coast in Los Angeles to Hawaii. And, and so they entered. They didn't really know much about sailing. They had limited sailing skills. They said, we got on the boat with the limited, sailing, limited sailing skills and our cans of chili. We were ready to go. Bottled water, cans of chili, and they went. And, and Bob writes the most moving part of the journey was the end of the journey. And I'm going to read his words because this just, for me, captures it. He says, there's a, a tradition in the Transpac race that no matter when you finish the race, even if it's two in the morning, when you pull into the Ala Moana Marina in Oahu, there's a guy who announces the name of the boat and every crew member who made the trip. It's the same guy. And he's been announcing each boat's arrival at the end of the race for decades. He says, just when we come to the end of our supplies... We sailed across the finish line off Diamond Head and into the marina. And it was a few hours before dawn. It had been 16 days since we set out from Los Angeles in our little boat, knowing very little about navigation. And suddenly, the silence broke by a booming voice over a loudspeaker announcing the name of our tiny boat. Then he started announcing the names of our ragtag crew like he was introducing the heads of state. One by one, he announced all the names of us with obvious pride in his voice. It became a really emotional moment for everybody on board. And when he came to my name, he didn't talk about how few navigational skills I had or the zigzag course that we took to get there. He didn't tell everyone that I didn't even know which way was north or any of my other mess-ups. Instead, he just welcomed me in from the adventure like a proud father would. And when he was done, there was a pause, and then in a silence, his voice spoke those words. Friends, it's been a long trip. Welcome home. Talks about fighting back the tears. I thought, that's the way it's going to be. I'm looking forward to that. What a promise. He's going to call my name, and it may be very much like that. Friend, welcome home. Are you ready to hear that? If you know him as your personal Lord and Savior, walking in obedience to his word, you'll hear that. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray together.